You're about to receive a word uh, from a true apostle, a voice uh, for this generation, a voice for this season. Uh, so do me a favor and give God a hand clap for sending the very best to New Heights Church, Pastor Walter Hallam. anointing in this house. It's very strong what God's doing in this work. It's, it'll never be this way again. It'll just get stronger and stronger and stronger. More and more glorious. And your impact and your reach will continue to go forward. And you'll look back at the Lord Terry's his coming 30 years from now and you'll say, look what the Lord has done. Maintain your zeal, the joy and the glory of God. You're going to have a powerful uh, extremely impacting you'll raise up people that will go all, all over the world right here from this church this powerful church you can tell it's, it's highly anointed it's called of God how many of you you're a member of this house wave your hand at me you come to this church on a regular basis praise the Lord how many of you this is your first time to be here in this church glory to God welcome thank you for coming please come again come on Sunday when they have better preaching than they have tonight You'll enjoy that. Amen. Tell someone you love them. Give them a big high five or something before you're seated and go ahead and be seated. I tell you, the Spirit of the Lord is in this place. Why not give these, why not give your singers and your band and all these guys a big hand? Tell them you love them. It's a, it's a great group. It just kind of reminds me of, I was in the Air Force uh, years ago, back in the early 70s, and I was a, I worked in, in the judge advocate's office, and uh, it was a it was a great a great position, and and it was a blessing to be able to do that. I was a court reporter, and I worked in in uh, the UCMJ a lot. And uh, but be that as it may, uh, I was in um, Alexandria, Louisiana, and so over in Alexandria, at England Air Force Base, there were, there was a bombing range. Our uh, our jets would go, and they would practice bombing over there, and. And they had a big tower. You could go up and you could get in that tower. And if you got up high enough in that tower, when the, when the jets would come by, it felt like they were just about to hit you. The wings would come so close, but they were probably, I don't know, a quarter of a mile away or something. But it looked like they were so close. And the, the noise was so loud. It would just, just be, and you could feel it all the way to your core when those jets would come by because they were almost eye level and then they would drop their ordnance and it would hit they had these smoke bomb things and they're practice bombing practice bombing practice bombing and, and over and over just constantly day and night those pilots would be out uh, practice bombing and stuff and, and when, when you uh, go there there's a sign that uh, was written and it was uh, just kind of put up on the uh, that the Air Force had put up there and it said something like this Pardon our noise, it's the sound of freedom. And so when you come into the house of God, yeah, if you know what I'm talking about, sometimes you just have to, 
pardon the noise. Hallelujah. It's the sound of freedom. It's the sound of liberty. When God gives you freedom, he gives you liberty. You rejoice. Praise the Lord. How many of you are glad that this is not a funeral tonight? How many of you are glad it's not your funeral tonight? Huh? That's even better. Uh, what, a, what a powerful church. Pastor Brian, uh, you and, and Pastor Crystal and your whole team that's here, it's beautiful to see what God is doing. And it's glorious, the Bible says. It's glorious in his eyes. And so uh, I wonder how many uh, works have already started and finished in the past 48 months in Texas. I wonder how many churches began and have already finished. Probably 30% of them uh, that actually formed uh, 48 months ago. Uh, they've already started and closed down. And in 10 years, uh, at least 50% of them will that have started at the same time you did, maybe more. Because maybe their intentions are good, but uh, the anointing is what destroys the oak. Because everyone goes through barriers and goes through these obstacles, but the anointing is what destroys the yoke so you can just, just, just get another yoke in the Holy Ghost. You know, uh, Elisha was out plowing and he had 12 yoke of oxen. And there's just no such thing as 12 yoke of oxen. Oxen are about 8 feet long. Sometimes they can be nearly 10 feet long. They're huge animals. They're just massive if you've ever been beside one of those. Imagine having a yoke of oxen and uh, here you are trying to plow behind it and it's a drought. It's three and a half years of drought and you're still plowing in a, in a drought and then all of a sudden you run into, uh, first of all, you're about half crazy to be out there. The world would say plowing in a drought. But Elisha, for some reason, he felt especially motivated in the middle of a drought to be out plowing. And the, the ground had to be tough, it had to be hard, and, and he, maybe he hit some big rocks. And, or maybe he was just thinking, well, this is fallow ground over here. If we could ever break it up and just use it, 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 would, it would just increase our harvest because someday it's going to rain. And so he gets out there, just kind of humor me here, go with me on this for a minute. And he's plowing and maybe he hits that first big old stump and, and those ox just lean into that and they just can't go any further. So instead of giving up, he goes back. And he just gets another yoke. Now he has two yoke of oxen. And he just starts pushing and he pushes through it. And maybe he's been going for a while and they hit a big old boulder or something. And, and now all four of these oxen can't move that. And so instead of, instead of quitting, he just goes and gets another yoke. Come on, someone help me. Get another yoke. Say it again. Get another yoke. And when you're, when you're growing churches and you're growing ministries and growing families and, and growing businesses, every time you run into something that you just don't know what to do, you don't just stop and go back to the barn. You just get another yoke. You just keep pressing. And before long, he had 12 yoke of oxen. So now he's an inventor. Surely he's patented all of those yokes and all of those things. He's probably got his own, you know, farming business going before it's over with. That's how we do it today, especially here at A&M and uh, around this area. And so they've got all of this uh, imagination that begin to, and creativity that begin to develop just because he wouldn't be stopped. Because he would get another yoke every time. And then to top it all off, he had no idea that Elijah was going to come by and throw his mantle on him. And because he was diligent, even in the time of a drought, 
uh, God began to promote him into the call that he had for his life. That anointing is on this church right here. There have been a lot of church. There have been a lot of churches, and we love everybody that loves the name of Jesus. But we're not talking about them tonight. We're talking about here. Uh, the anointing of God is in this house. It's powerful. And I can just tell you, this pastor, and if you don't have a home church, come to this church. Whether you're as old as me or as you're as young as uh, the person sitting next to you. Uh, make a decision to get in a ministry that just will not stop. That just regardless of, uh, of what barrier or obstacle comes up, you just pray. You just obey God. You have a, a spirit and a made-up mind of determination. And then... You just get another yoke. That'll get in your children. They won't be failures. They'll be successes. They'll be people that just press and press. And they'll have a joy. And then sometimes God will throw a mantle on them. And they'll just go up another level. Way beyond anything that you could ever ask or think. I believe that anointing is in this house. It takes one to know one. Hallelujah. Uh, it's a great joy to be with you here. I'm not going to speak long tonight, but then again, I never do. So if you think it's long, that's your bad, not mine. And so here, here's the situation. Uh, it is a, a powerful, powerful time uh, in the history of this church. Four years will never come again in the history of this church. Uh, four is a, a great number, and I'll speak just for a minute on a four in the Bible that had to do with destroying the obstacles that keep you from going the next level especially the things that keep you from passing on to the next generation. That's a real important thing to hear. We'll talk about that in a minute. But before we do, let me just take just a moment and introduce a couple of people to you. Uh, this is my first cousin. who uh, he, he's, he's like my fifth brother, if I can say that to you. Our fathers were, were brothers. Uh, this is Jerry Hallam. Jerry, would you stand, please, and just wave at everyone? He lives up in Sugar Land. He recently retired from BP Amico. He was an executive of BP Amico. He's full of the Holy Ghost. And his son, last year, one of his sons just retired the top of his class in electrical engineering here at Texas A&M, as a matter of fact. He's employed at San Jose, California now. And they love God. They're full of the Holy Spirit. Isn't it good to have, that you can have brains and you can have the anointing at the same time? Yeah, yeah you can have all that. Yeah. Now, I call it learning with burning. Glory to God. And this is Brother Rick Pruitt. And Brother Rick, is, uh, he and his family, his wife Miriam and uh, Marion, and uh, their children have been at Abundant Life for about 25 years. And Brother Rick is a powerful, powerful worker, of course, in everything he does. He's actually a scientist, if you want to know the truth. But anyway, he's a chemist. He's a brilliant man. And uh, today he has his own company and works in the plants. Brother Rick, would you stand and say hi to everyone? Give Brother Rick Pruitt a big hand. And this is his beautiful daughter who is uh, attending Texas A&M, one of his daughters uh, at A&M today. This is Elizabeth. She had no idea I was going to do this. So please stand, Elizabeth, so everybody will see you. Give her a big we love you. And uh, praise the Lord for all you rich guys that are single. She's single. I just thought I'd say that. If you ain't rich, don't come call her. And so <laughs> I'm just joking. She's awesome. She'll hate me forever. You better not. I'm just chicken at you. 
And of course, I'm always uh, just so thrilled to be with Larry and Candy and with their family. And Pastor Brian, I love you. If I had a son, Cindy and I raised three daughters. And if, if we had a son, I can tell you right now, he would be just like Brian. Uh, today I have two son-in-laws and I'm very excited about that. Glory to God, because the spirit of the Lord gave me a powerful prophecy and said, this would be a year of Jubilee. It would be a year of double. Uh, so Cindy and I, my beautiful little darling wife and I, I was captain of the football team and she was a head twirler. Uh, and she's a couple of years younger than me. And uh, the next thing you know, a few years later, we get married and that was 40 years ago this year. And so we raised our three daughters and we thought, well, my goodness, we're never going to have grandchildren. Our, our, our girls have been married and all this, and it looks like we're never going to have them. And the next thing you know, praise the Lord, I have a little grandchild, a little granddaughter about 19 months uh, old. And I'm just so pumped about it. I don't know what to do. And uh, our oldest donor, who's about 35 now. She uh, had, the, had a daughter. And so our youngest daughter, who's about 30, we just found out, hallelujah. Her, her name is Jennifer. If you ever watch our TV uh, program or our network, you'll see the red-headed uh, gal that leads praise and worship. Well, that's Jennifer. We just found out she's going to have her first little grandchild. So if you don't know anything about grandchildren, just humor me for a moment. And for all of you that know about grandchildren, whoo. You know what I mean? I mean, it's, it, it rules. I can't, it's, it's like, I don't even explain it. Now I'm going to get silly talking about them. So I love my little granddaughter. Well, then I found out that our youngest daughter, now she's pregnant with her first child. It's going to be a little girl. Also, we're really excited. And then our oldest daughter, who is the mother of our, grand, our granddaughter, just her and her husband just told us also that they're going to have another child. And I said, well, my goodness, you're both going to have children in the same, almost at the same time. It is a jubilee. It's a double. And she said, well, not only that, but we just found out it's twin boys. So now we got a double, double. Yeah. Double, double. So God will give you double for your trouble. How about that? Hallelujah. So I'm just very excited about it. I love you. And I just want to share with you a couple of things. If you get a chance to watch our television network, WONTV, please, uh, you can pull that up and look at it online. And uh, here's a book called The Big Why. It'll tell, it helps a lot of people when they've gone through difficult things. Uh, just let them know that God has an answer on why something bad can happen to someone good. And it might be a real blessing to them. And here's one called How to Kill a Rooster. And uh, I, I got that lesson from the Apostle Peter. That'll sink in in just a little while. You know, that rooster was crowing. Have you ever noticed how the devil will always try to remind you of where you failed? I mean, he'll, the, you know, the devil will never tell you that God's forgiven you and empowered you and equipped you. He'll never do that. But he always reminds you of where you failed. Can you imagine getting up every single morning and hearing a rooster crow? And the thing that you have done that is so bad is been signified by the crowing of a rooster when, when, when Peter denied Jesus. Oh, my goodness. Every day. You ever been in a third world country? Uh, or maybe, do you, do you, maybe you still have some uh, chickens and roosters. I grew up, we had some uh, chickens. And, and right after we first got married, uh, my grandmother, my wife's grandmother, I call her my grandmother, had chickens and had a every morning, just as the sun was starting to come up, man, those roosters just start crowing. And can you imagine the Apostle Peter? Every morning, the roosters are just crowing and crowing and crowing and crowing and crowing. 
and reminding him of where he'd missed it and where he'd missed it and where he'd missed it and where he'd missed it. And for 40 days that took place. For 40 days, every morning, every, uh, all during the day, roosters are crowing all over Jerusalem. Can you hear them? And the devil's working overtime to try to remind Peter that God will never, uh, telling him God will never uh, love you, he will never help you, he will never keep you. And uh, here Peter's just getting worse and worse and worse until finally the day of Pentecost, which was 50 days after Easter. Here it is. Uh, now it's going, something good has got to happen. Something has to change. I, I, I like to think that probably on the day of Pentecost, when the day was fully come, Satan had every rooster in Jerusalem crowing at the top of his lungs. But the Bible says suddenly, someone shout suddenly. There came another sound, a rushing mighty wind, and it filled the, the, the room where they were, and Peter received the Holy Spirit. And he began to speak with other tongues as the Spirit of God gave him the utterance. And I tell you, preachers have been getting even with chickens ever since then. <laughs> Glory to God. How many of you are glad God will give you a sound above the sound of your adversary? Above every accusation. I think it will bless you. One of the, one of the premier uh, things God spoke to me almost 30 years ago is developing the heart of a centurion. Uh, with a centurion heart, uh, Jesus said to the centurion that came with his, uh, on behalf of his servant, he said, I have not found great faith like this anywhere in Israel. He's a Roman. He's not even a Jew. He's a Roman. Jesus turned to Peter and James and John and Matthew, Mark and Luke, and he said, see this guy that's a Gentile? I haven't found faith like this guy has anywhere, anywhere. And he said, I'm a man under authority. He said, and I know how to use my authority correctly. And then he said, Jesus, but you're different. He said, I tell people to do things and they do it. But Jesus, you tell sicknesses to do things. You understand authority at a whole different level. I'm not even worthy that you come under my roof. But if you'll just speak the word, your authority is so much greater than my authority. And you use your authority to heal the sick, to save the lost, to help. That's the power of being a centurion. And Jesus looked at that man and said, he's full of love. He's full of intercession. He's full of wisdom and revelation. He has submitted himself. I haven't found faith like that anywhere, anywhere in Israel. Developing the heart of a centurion. If you develop that heart, 10 years later, we find out who this man is, actually. His name is Cornelius. And we find out in Acts chapter 10, and we find he's still serving the Lord. So I think it'll be a blessing to you. They're out on the book table there. Uh, every time you get one of these, you help us take the gospel of Jesus to the world. I'm going to do a special tonight. Uh, I normally don't do this, I promise you. This is $10 if you want it tonight. And every CD out there is only $5. No, no, it's $4. It's fourth year, isn't it? Let's do $4. So $10 and $4 if you want those, and there'll be a blessing. All right, give God the praise tonight, church. Hallelujah. And here's a little booklet right here. Also, well, let me just give it to you. It's called Five Biblical Strategies for Financial Success. I think it'll be a blessing to you. So uh, praise the Lord. If you want it, it's yours. And if, if it's not, buy it, give it to somebody that's broke, busted, and disgusted. They'll love you forever.
Hallelujah. All right. You ready for the word? Father, in Jesus' name, thank you for the word of God that is rich and powerful, that's quicker than a two-edged sword that pierces to the dividing asunder of spirit, soul, joint, and marrow, that is the discerner of the thought and the intent of our heart tonight. Glory to God. In Jesus' name. The Bible says the word is quick and powerful, sharper than any two-edged sword. Uh, It's an interesting word. I don't know a lot about two-edged swords. I'm a Texan, so I know a little bit about pistols and and shotguns and rifles, but uh, I really don't know a lot about swords. I have a couple of them. Uh, I have one old, old samurai sword that was given to me, and then I have another sword that's just uh, somebody also gave that one to me. Uh, But I don't know a lot about them except uh, the Scripture says the Word of God is like a two-edged sword. Uh, In the Greek, the word two-edged is the word diastomos. It's an interesting word. You don't see it used very many times, but it's interpreted or it's translated uh, out of Strong's uh, from diastomos is translated two-edged sword, two-edged, diastomos. Diastomos are two Greek words put together. One of them is the word die, and the other word is the word stomos. Die is the word for dual or, or for more than one, divide or uh, anything that has to do with a duel. Uh, Stomos is a word for speaking, to say forth or to speak forth in the Greek. When you put the two of them together, the way it's conjugated there, it says that the word of God is quick and powerful, sharper than a twice-spoken word. (laughs) It's quick and powerful, sharper than a twice-spoken word. I believe the first time the Holy Spirit says it in you and the second time you say it out. When you speak the word of God, faith begins to work. When you hear the word of God, faith comes to you. When you speak the word of God, faith begins to work. It's like a two-edged sword and it pierces. You've got to stay with the word long enough to let it pierce you. And it pierces. It's got to get past just your ear and past just your mind. It's got to get down into the core of you. It has to pierce right to the inner part of your being. It pierces to the dividing asunder of spirit, soul, and body. Spirit, soul, joint, and marrow, body, flesh. Spirit, soul, and body. You're a three-part being. I believe you know that. And so the Word of God, when you begin to speak it with the, after God has spoken it in you, it begins to divide, it begins to dissect every part of your being, physical, spiritual, and mental. It begins to affect your life in a powerful, positive way. Uh, and it discerns the thought and the intent of the heart. The word discern is an interesting word. It's the Greek word critique, C-R-I-T-I-C, critique. And uh, we get our word critic from it, not in the sense of criticizing, but to critique something. It says the word of God is quick and powerful, sharper than a twice spoken word from God that divide, it pierces and it begins to analyze and divide or discern your, your mental, your spiritual revelation and your physical life. How many of you would like the word of God to apply to every part of your being? Hallelujah. His word is a lamp unto our feet and a light unto our pathway. And so when you let the word come forth, it begins to pierce and it begins to dissect or it begins to judge or it begins to critique in the sense of not criticize but analyze 
every part of your being. The next time you say something like, I don't know what I'm supposed to do. I just don't know. How about just filling yourself with the word of God? Begin to pray the word of God out, pray it over that, and it will not be long before God will pierce right to that area and give you an understanding. You'll begin to know what you didn't know before. Hallelujah. Are y'all still breathing? Uh, So it is very necessary to keep the word speaking into your life. If you have your Bible, turn to 2 Samuel tonight. Just for a moment, 2 Samuel chapter 21. Hallelujah. I feel pretty good in my soul right now. This is four years of holy ground. It's the first four years of holy ground. Glory to God. You're turning to 2 Samuel chapter 21 for just a moment. Let me just look at one quick thing. Something just just kind of spoke in my inner man. Is that all right with you, Pastor? Hallelujah. Glory to God. That's powerful. And so uh, when God created heaven and earth on the fourth day, he created two great lights, the Bible says. He created two great lights in Genesis chapter 1 on the fourth day. And he calls them to have day and night to recognize the difference in day and night. Ooh, I believe that's a powerful word for this house right here. That as you begin to process forward, you move into that fourth day and God will begin to give you an understanding of darkness versus light. He'll give you a light in that and you'll need it, Pastor Brian, because not only will men and women like, like uh, are in this house tonight uh, going to be here, but people from all over that will go back into the world will come who have a desire for God, but they don't have any light. There are a lot of people that have a desire for God who are walking in darkness. Their desire for God is as much as your desire for God. But they have no light. They have no revelation. In the fourth day, God gives revelation between light and darkness. Genesis chapter 1 says, Whoo, that's a good word for this house. That word's in this house right here. Praise the Lord. This morning, there was a group of people from Tehran, Iran, Iran, who joined our church, who came. Uh, several of them were saved in the church. They grew up, a couple of them grew up Muslim. They've been water baptized. One of them had been married 20 years, never had any children. God gave them a vision and showed them our church in a dream, in a dream. They came to the church not knowing what they were looking for. And when they got there, they got radically saved, baptized in the Holy Spirit, have since been water baptized. And now uh, this one particular person, after being married 20 years, he and his wife have their first child. And today he was so happy with tears in his eyes. He said, Pastor, I named him John. It's a Christian name. I named him John, he said. Ooh, hallelujah. God will send people. God will send people that you have light for them. They're walking in darkness, but, but you'll give them light because their desire for God will be as like your desire for God. Don't get caught up in, in too many of those issues because of where people come from. Pray, judge that situation in the spirit, 
And every time you get an opportunity, turn on the light. Come on, tell two people right now, turn on the light. Come on, tell them that. Turn on the light. I received that word for myself. We're in 2 Samuel chapter 21. Just for a moment now this evening before we go home after y'all been in church all weekend. What a great joy. Have y'all enjoyed this weekend? I know it's been powerful. Listen to this word right here just for a moment. I, I believe I'd like to read if you'll allow me to. This is in 2 Samuel chapter 21 beginning in verse 15. And moreover, the Philistines had yet war again with Israel. And David went down and his servants with him, and he fought against the Philistines, and David waxed faint. Stay with me in this now. And Ishbibonob, which was of the sons of the giants, the weight of whose spear weighed 300 shekels of brass in weight, he being girded with a new sword, thought he had slain David. But Abishai, the son of Zariah, secure, you notice it says secure, not secure, secure him, and smote the Philistine and killed him. Then the men of David swear unto him, saying, Thou shalt go no more with us to battle, that you quench not the light of College Station, the light of Israel. Are you listening? This is an interesting thing, and it's got to be understood. At this time, David is now 60 years old. He's 60 years old. You can do his chronological uh, and, and check the numbers out in the Scripture. You'll find out at this point he's 60 years old. According to Jewish historians, uh, David was a remarkable man because he didn't just kill one giant. David killed the first giant when he was somewhere around 15 years old. He's now 60 years old, which makes for 45 years, every time a giant would come up and come against Israel, the only person we have recorded and that Jewish history has recorded that had killed giants like this was David. David had an anointing. He was more than just a singing uh, young lad who was out in taking care of sheep uh, who got uh, some oil poured on him and went and killed a giant one time. No, he was killing giants all the time. He was a hero. He was a legend. If a giant came up against them, if they had some kind of battle, David went out and took care of it. I'm sure before long, uh, after a few years, after 45 years of fighting and God anointing him the same way he would anoint Samson only to kill giants. Samson was anointed a different way. And if Samson would have done what he was called to do, David would have never had to kill Goliath. But because uh, Samson, of course, uh, missed it, he was supposed to judge Israel and do some things. He never judged Israel like that. And therefore, uh, David, God raised him up and he starts killing these giants. Well, for sure, we know he killed Goliath. Uh, Goliath is an interesting word because it means to strip naked. It means to make nude. It means to humiliate publicly. Uh, it's, a, it's a powerful word. Goliath means that. It means to, to humiliate, to expose. Uh, the devil's always trying to humiliate. Uh, uh, Goliath would get up on the hill and mock and he would expose the weakness and the, and the fear of, of Israel until one day uh, about a 15 or so year old boy comes in there and he's going to bring some, some cheese and some bread 
to three of his brothers. First Samuel uh, 17 uh, verse 13 says, so he's going to bring some cheese and crackers to these three boys, his older brothers. One of them's name uh, in, uh, right there is called Shama. Shama is the same name also sometimes pronounced Shimea. So uh, it depends upon which translation you're reading. Shimea and Shama, they were the same person. And so it's a very unique thing. And three of his brothers, the Bible says, and it gives their name, three of his brothers were there the day that Goliath was mocking. And David comes up and all he's doing is he's bringing the cheese. He had 10 cheeses and 10 uh, uh, loaves of bread. 10 is a type of the tithe. It always has been. The first thing David did, the Bible says, is he gave some to the captain and then he gave some to his brothers. He did things in order. He first took the tithe and he placed it where it was supposed to go. And his brothers begin to mock him and ridicule him. Have you ever had anybody make fun of people who give and give in faith? Uh, don't ever do that if you want the church to grow. If you want the church to expand, you want it to increase, you want the ministry to grow, you want to be able to stretch out and re- don't, don't, don't make coarse, silly, foolish jokes about tithing and offering. People work their brains out uh, to get their money. They invest, they pray, they fast, they believe God, and then they give according to how they have an unction in their spirit to give. It's very, very precious to God. Because it activates the windows of heaven so God can pour out blessings upon mankind. I'm preaching real good and you hadn't even said a word yet. It's very important to tithe and offer. If you want to go forward, you want to go higher, you want to go deeper in God in your life, you want to see the blessing of the Lord overtake you in the way. Uh, be like David. Keep your money in order. He brought 10 cheeses and, and 10 breads. And so he did what he was supposed to do in order. And his brothers began to ridicule him. Uh, one of them was a guy named Shimea or Shama that began to do that. Uh, but David, of course, uh, he deflected that because he said, what have I done? I'm just trying to obey God. We're just living for the Lord. Uh, so why are you so upset about it? Because I brought you something. And of course, about that time, as soon as he had given, have you ever noticed that as soon as you give uh, your, your 10 cheeses, uh, the soon as you give, uh, Goliath will rise up and begin to roar and try to humiliate, intimidate, and expose every possibility of defeat or failure in your life. So you have to make a decision that you're either going to be like the brothers and fall back Are you going to have to be like David and say, wait a minute, you're talking about my God. You're talking about my uh, Jehovah. You're talking about the Redeemer of Israel. When you're mocking, uh, you're talking about the one who said that he will uh, do exceeding abundantly above all that you and I can ask or think. According to the power that's working within you. Uh, And so David just rose up. Not because he was making fun of David, but because he was making fun of David's Lord, his God, his Savior, his Redeemer, the one who calls him and anoints him. And the scripture says David just goes out uh, and with a little uh, stone, he just kills that giant. 
Y'all know the story. He's walking across a, a little brook, a Kidron brook. And as he's crossing the Kidron, the same one Jesus crossed on the way to the garden, uh, as he's crossing uh, that brook, uh, he suddenly realizes, wait a minute, uh, I, I don't have any bullets to go in, in, in my slingshot. I need, I, need some, I need some glow ammo. I need something with light attached to it. I need something. I, that's a personal thing. Forget it if you don't understand that. I need something from God. And he reaches down in the brook. Uh, and he gets five smooth stones. Uh, he, he would have known something about uh, the kind of stone that he wanted. And the water has been running there for time immortal. And probably that little stone had probably started out as a big old rock. But somebody once said in the war between the water and the rock, the water always wins. And over thousands of years... Uh, those rocks had been whittled down, maybe chipped off, smoothed out uh, as they tumbled down. Uh, in those creeks, come, maybe it came out of one of the mountains and finally it rested down there and it's just being uh, prepared and smoothed. Maybe it had been down there for hundreds and hundreds of years. No telling how long that rock had been there. And they, he reached down and at the exact right time, God had prepared uh, from the very beginning of time uh, what he needed to be victorious and be promoted and, and fulfill the call of God in his life. And he reached down and, and he used it for the glory of God. I tell you, in this house today, the, the hand of God is on you. And whether you're here for the first time or for the fourth year in a row, it doesn't make any difference. Before you were ever born, God was planning and preparing a way to break you free into the fulfillment of the call of God that is on your life, that's on your family. It's amazing how God will do something as small as a little stone, as a little rock. If he's been preparing it, just get ready because God can kill a giant with a rock if he just gets a faithful servant on the other end of it. That's all he's looking for. You never know when you're doing the will of God how suddenly God can stop you in just a, a moment, just stop you in just a moment. And there on the ground will be exactly what you need if you understand my point. It could be a phone call. It could have been a text. It could have been an email you got. It could have been a thought you had. It could have been something you uh, dreamed about. And suddenly uh, you're obeying and serving God. And suddenly you have the weapon that you need to take out the barrier. And the. it could be something as simple as a shout, Joshua. Yeah. It may be nigh you even in your mouth right now. What it takes for you to be victorious in everything you do, to change everything about your past, your family, uh, all the DNA that's come in uh, up till now. David is about to elevate uh, Jesse's lineage. Jesse, uh, it's, it's nice that David was attached to Jesse, but I'd like to tell you it's really nice that Jesse was attached to David because David obeyed God. I know he had some issues, but we're not talking about the issues. We're talking about his obedience. He obeyed the Lord. And when he obeyed God, it took him up to another level completely. Totally up to another level. Hallelujah. I believe that's going to happen in here. 
One of the levels that he released this anointing, he obeyed God. He supernaturally obeyed God and killed this giant that everyone else was afraid of. So it doesn't take a spiritual giant to understand that he had an anointing from God. There was an endowment, a gifting from God on him to take out giants. So the Jewish historians say that David continued every time giants would come up, he would go out and an anointing would be on him and he would kill giants. He's now 45 years later, he's now 60 years old as the king. And uh, so he's been a king now for about almost 30, uh, almost uh, approximately 30 years, but it was 45 years now that since he killed Goliath. And he's had, I can imagine all of the great mighty men of David. He had mighty men that he, he began to prepare them before he was ever in that king's role. He began to prepare them in a cave called Adullam. You, you, you know the story, the cave's still there today. And um, uh, he began to talk to these people and prepare them and equip them until uh, they, there were 600 of them, and they, uh, 400 of them, and they became known as David's mighty men. And uh, David's men followed him for several reasons. First of all, he was anointed. He was a Sunday school kid. He went to church. He played and sang. Uh, he understood the Bible. I'm preaching real good right now. He wrote songs. He, 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 he knew how to play instruments. He could do all of those things. Uh, and he was the one who served the Lord. He was that kid that went to church that wouldn't miss any services that no one else thought was going to amount to anything. But I've got good news. God had a plan on his life. God was working in his life. And he began to rise up and God took that as a teenage boy and turned that into a powerful, giant killing uh, anointing. Now here David is. Uh, he's 60 years old. His mighty men are probably going like, get the popcorn, get some peanuts, come on, get you a Diet Coke or something. Let's go out and watch David. They have a giant Let's watch David take out another one. He's been doing it for over four decades. When one of them shows up, here comes David. We haven't uh, recorded nowhere that anyone else in Israel's army uh, up to this point had ever killed a giant. And I'm sure they're thinking this is going to take place. Oh, this is awesome. And they loved David. They loved him. His men loved him. Uh, but they loved to watch him battle. He's 60 and he's still a powerful warrior. Let this get in your spirit. I'm not going to speak with just a few more minutes. And David goes out and he comes up against a man named Ishbibinob. Ishbibinob is a giant. And the Bible says that he had, uh, he had a sword that was a new sword. One translation says a new weapon. Uh, can you imagine being in, in the Philistines and in the giant's camp? Uh, for, for four decades, they've been talking about that little red-headed, blue-eyed uh, boy named David. That's my story. I'm sticking with it. Named David. For 40 years, he kills the giants. Can you imagine? Uh, David is a legend, not only in Israel, but he's a legend in hell's camp also. I believe that you ought to be a legend, not only in this region and in this church, but in not only in your family, but in all of the areas where the enemy has tried to come against you, they need to be around their little sordid campfire saying, whatever you do, just don't mess with David. Can you just hear the devil right now? Every, every morning uh, uh, when, when hell's rooster crows and Satan uh, tries to wake up, 
so to speak. Stay with me on this for a second. Can you imagine him saying to all the little demons that live around this area, whatever you do, don't go down, what's the name of this road? Don't go down Turkey Creek Road, whatever you do. Don't go down that, that street over there where, where, where men and women that are members of this church live. Oh, Lord, I, I see the devil saying to all his little imps and his little demons, whatever you do, stay away from Turkey Creek and all those Turkey Creek Holy Ghost people over there. <laughs> stay away from that Turkey Creek crowd. Whatever you do, they will whoop you. They will destroy you. <laughs> Leave them alone. They don't fear anything. They're full of faith. Well, my God, they think they can move mountains. It's like, it's like Jesus we know and Paul we know, but who are you? You know, the seven sons of Shiva. It's kind of like Jesus we know and Paul we know and we know the Turkey, the Turkey Creek crowd. I can just hear the devil telling all of his little old demons, uh, listen, listen, little darlings, go somewhere else. Go to Louisiana. Go to New Mexico or go where you have safe harbor. Go to Washington, D.C. Somewhere. Whatever you do. Don't mess with that crowd full of the word and the spirit of God. And so David is 60 years old and he's going out to battle again. And you can be sure that his men are watching. Because they're mighty men with mighty exploits. They're warriors themselves. But when it comes to the giants, David is the man. And David says, 60 years old. He doesn't think anything of it. There's a giant. This is my chance to shine. This is what I was called for. This is what I was anointed for. This was what I was born for. That's what all these songs are about. That's what all of this slingshot stuff is about. That's what getting to be the king and the leader is to keep the giants out. And the Bible says that hell had made a new type of weapon. It was 300 shekels of brass. Brass is a type of judgment in the Bible. It's 300. Goliath's, the Bible says, was 600 shekels. This one weighed exactly half as much uh, as Goliath's weighed. They had been studying David. They knew they had to be quicker and they had some kind of a weapon that David, uh, a new sword, God points these things out. And I can just tell you, same demon, but he'll try to do something new to come against you from time to time. About the time you think you have victory in one area, the enemy will try to attack you in another. How many of you are glad that the greater one lives in you? Come on, you got a giant killing anointing in you. You're in year four. Hallelujah. And the scripture says, David goes out to fight Ishbibinam. And when he goes out to fight him, it says, and he thought he had killed him. He thought he had slain him. Uh, Jewish historians say that David was gravely wounded and about, it looked like he was going to die. A very interesting thing. He thought he had killed him, the scripture says. He's fighting him. Sometimes hell tries to develop a new little weapon against you. Listen, and it caused you to, it could be the internet. Watch out what you watch. It doesn't weigh half as much as what our forefathers had to battle with. It's quick. It's custom made. In the book of Revelation, Satan says, 
uh, Apollyon says, I will come into your houses and pervert all of your uh, sons and daughters. Be wise about that. Use the internet wisely. Don't use it wrongly. How many of you know that God did not give cell phones so we'd learn how to gossip all over the world? Come on, cell phones are not for perversion. Therefore, the propagation of the gospel of Jesus Christ as well as for our own edification. Praise the Lord. Give me two amens. It's very important to get that in your spirit because the enemy will always try to develop something new to try to stop you even if you've been winning for 45 years. And so... The scripture says he, he, took a, he got an advantage on David. David is 60 years old. He's, he hits him and David looks like he's going to die. I can see the horror. I can see the horror, the shock that goes into these mighty men. He's the only leader any of these people would have ever known. First there was Saul. He, he served for a short time and then David was the second king. And he's the only one that any of these people know. And he's an automatic. If the, if the enemy comes out against Israel, if David's leading the battle, you're going to have the victory. It's automatic. They love to watch David. They love to support David. They love to be with David. But at the end of the day, David was still flesh and blood. And the scripture says, for whatever the reason, Ishbibinob, with his custom-made weapon, got an advantage of him and thought to have slain him. But something went off inside of another man named Abishai. Say this with me. Say Abishai. I will never forget Abishai. Say it with me. I will never forget Abishai. Here those guys are. They're eating their popcorn. Y'all just let me tell it the way I want to for a minute. They're eating their popcorn and peanuts. They're watching it. They've got their queso dip and David's out there and he's fighting with this big old giant Ishbibinob and all of a sudden uh, uh, David has it timed the way that he fights with that weapon and with that sword but he maybe did not realize that, that the timing was quicker and faster because it was a different kind of sword than, they had, than the giants had used before. A new type, the Bible says and bam he strikes David and it looks like he's going to kill him he thought he had slain him because you can be sure if you kill David and you're a giant the first thing you're going to do is cut his head off the same way he had done to Goliath you can be sure that that giant was about to do it but something went off in Abishai and it says uh, though he had never fought a giant he had never killed a giant None of the David's men had that we have any record of whatsoever. Uh, all of a sudden, Abishai rises up and he's like, you, you, you can't kill my David. And that passion from God, that really care that's just, I call it baked into the core of, your, of who you are, rose up inside of this young warrior named Abishai. He said, not, not David. And he secured him. And the word in the, in the Hebrew there means, it means to cover and to shelter. It, it's like he got between the giant and, the, and, and, and David laying in that, in that maybe a comatose state, in a crippled state, in a wounded state for sure. He gets between him and he's so, uh, so uh, driven on his inside to not let David die that he begins to fight that giant. And he had never fought a giant. 
So he didn't know that this man's sword was different. He didn't know that it was a weapon that he had never uh, 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 seen before. Because David was the one who was doing it. And now all of a sudden you've got a man who's been under the anointing of David for a season. And an anointing, I'm preaching real good right now, comes on him. And when the anointing that was on David got on him for that hour, for that moment, he killed that giant. Now we have two giant killers. I believe that anointing's in this house. That when you serve under a pastor... If he, if Pastor Brian finishes the call that God has in his life, he won't be here 10 years. He won't be here 20 years. He won't be here 30 years. He'll be here all his life. And as he's here all of his life and we begin to train and raise up, he, he begins to work that anointing and it develops and it develops and it gets over on you and me and our sons and our daughters. We're not trying to just let the devil take out David so somebody else can step up. No, we're not trying to break off with the anointing and go do our own thing. We're like, not my David. You're not taking him out. I'm secure. I'm sure. I'll fight you in the name of the Lord. You got to get that in your inner man. You got to believe it so strong that hell couldn't beat it out of you with a baseball bat. It's got to be on the inside of you. This is our church. This is our Jesus. These are pastors. This is our music ministry, children's ministry. This is our purpose, a vision that God has given us. We don't just stand on the sidelines eating the popcorn. Oh, no, no, we do our part, and this is a great church for that. We help secure the vision. We shelter, we cover it, we share it with the right people, and we defend it in the name of the Lord Jesus. Oh, hallelujah. Then you've got two giant killers. You've got the pastor giant killer, and now you have the next giant killer. Look at somebody and say, you're anointed to kill giants. Come on, tell them. Oh, hallelujah. There's an anointing on you. There's an anointing in this house. Let me finish with this. Are y'all okay? Can I have a couple more minutes? Y'all doing all right? So Abishai, it's interesting. The word Ishbibinab is an interesting word in, in Hebrew. Uh, you'll find this in, in, in your Strong's Concordance. It just literally means, it, it's two words kind of put together, Ishbibinab in Hebrew, and it means to sit back, do nothing, sit back, and have a harvest. <clears throat> I'm just going to let it sink in. You put those two words that make the word Ishbibinab together, and it means to sit back and have a harvest. Can I, just, can I just remind you that it is impossible for you to sit back and do nothing and expect to have a harvest. But you can be sure that the devil will try every way he can to take out a church and to take out a ministry by getting people to believe the lie that you can just sit back and do nothing and expect the harvest. No, the Bible is real emphatic about this. If we sow, we reap. Hallelujah. And I'm not talking about I'm about to take an offering. I'm saying that we have to sow our time, sow our, our faith, sow our love, sow, sow uh, our families into the kingdom of God. We work as unto the Lord. You can't just sit back and do nothing. You want to kill a David? You want to kill a king? 
Just sit back and do nothing because it don't make any difference. If they're a king, they're going to fight the giant. It's just in them. How many of you are glad Revelation says that you and me, we are kings and priests unto our God. Come on, let's give God the praise. You're a king. You're a priest. It's in you. It's a giant killing anointing. We never believe the lie that, well, we can just kind of sit back and do nothing. I did my part. I worked in the nursery. It's time for someone else to do something. You want to you totally frustrate a David. That's all it takes. I've had the honor of pastoring for 31 years, the same church. I, I grew up in a pastor's home for many years. I never saw one demon that wouldn't flee, be cast out. I never saw a sickness that couldn't get healed. The only thing I ever saw that stopped churches and the move of God from growing is when people sit back and do nothing. And expect, well, I love God and God loves me and he doesn't make any difference what I do or say. It's all going to happen anyway. No, that's craziness. That's called Gnosticism wrapped in Christianity. No, we are doers of the word. That's what I like about this church. I like that spirit, that anointing. When you walk in this church, it seemed like every person was worshiping. Every person was praising God. Every person was giving God the glory. Probably every person sold an offering today. Everybody is involved with doing something in the name of the Lord. You want a family to prosper? Don't expect to sit back and not constantly develop your family and develop yourself. People go through trials. They go through issues in life. Families do. But let me tell you the one that overcomes it. It's the one who didn't sit back and do nothing it's, and, and expect it just to work itself out. No, they're the ones who got involved and made a decision they were going to do what they had to do to make it happen. Abishai, he's a powerful man. I'm almost done. I can see that I'm preaching to myself. And so the word Abishai in the Hebrew means to be generous and to be faithful, faithfully generous with our time. That's what took out the Abishai. Uh, Abishai is what took out the Ishbibinah spirit. And, and then in conclusion it says, I wish I had time to do it all. But Abishai, the son of Zariah, uh, that's an interesting word. Zariah himself is a powerful word. Uh, but Abishai, the son of Zariah, uh, the scripture says he covered, he protected David. He, he held him and he smote the Philistine and killed him. And when they had him dead, then the men of David swore unto David and they said, you will not go out anymore uh, with us to battle. So we do not quench the anointing, the power flow of Israel, the light. God is light. He operates in light. He dispels darkness. A church has a candlestick, Revelation says. Jesus, when he, on the Isle of Patmos, when he's talking to John the Revelator, he talks about to the candlesticks. The candlesticks are also called the angel of the church. They are called the one who is receiving the light that comes from God for that church. In this church, that would be Pastor Brian. 
in whatever church that is called and duly informed by the Holy Ghost, it would be the pastor that is in the leadership of that house. God always leads through an individual. He always has and he always will. From Genesis all the way to Revelation. God so loved the world, he didn't send a committee. No, he sends people like you and me who are anointed and everyone is called to walk in light some way in your life, in the corporate body, in the church, when we assemble together, there's all of this energy and all of these brains in here and all of this personality and, and all of the everything that we make up corporately as, as a body of believers. And everybody has their own space, their own light trail they're walking in. But when we come together in the house of God, we synergize that because you put a lot of candles together and you can have a whole lot of candle power. Come on, are you listening to me? You can have that in the house of God. But when God begins to minister out and lead Israel, which is a type of the church, when God begins to lead Israel, he does it through uh, uh, the light. He does it through the church. He does it through the pastor of the house. And so God surrounds him with the Abishai's of life. And before long, the anointing that's on that pastor begins to get on the families and the individuals. And, and it's the light. It doesn't mean they're going to do exactly exactly the same thing that he does. It's the anointing that we're talking about. It's the glory of God that's being piped, light piped right to us. Oh, hallelujah. That's why you pray for your pastor. You secure your pastor. You take care of them. You buy them a new car. You get him a jet. You do whatever you need to fulfill the call of God. Look at two people and say, did he say jet? Come on, did he just say jet? I could go there with that, but... But if I did, somebody jump up and buy one, so I better watch out. You don't do that till it's time for you to do it. All right, go ahead and do it. All right, all right. So here's the thing. They said, you can't go out any longer or we'll lose the light of Israel. And they understood that. They had a revelation. David had taught them how God operated. The anointing, Psalms 133 says, flows from the head all the way down to the ground. From the head, it poured upon Aaron's head. It got on his face and his beard. It ran all the way down his skirts. It ran to the ground. It said the anointing. It did it in unity. It's so powerful to understand it. That's why churches are duly assembled and there's no anointing in so many of them today. I'm not a novice at this. I've been in church 60 years, almost every day of my life. Almost. One year, a few years ago, I spoke publicly 400 times in one year. Uh, this isn't our first rodeo. And you can be sure when you study the Word of God, you find something out. God has a supernatural church. And when that church is duly anointed and everybody's walking in their light, and they're show, sharing that the light of the love of God, the faith of God, the power of God, the revelation knowledge of God. And instead of competing with one another, we're walking in that flow. And if God begins to raise this brother up here and just really raise him up high, we don't get jealous and upset. And we'd be like, how, co how come I've been serving God and God didn't ever do anything like that for me? That's because you're ugly. That's why I can tell you why. No, but it's because that attitude. No, you get excited. You get, you, you're like, God bless them. Thank you, Lord. Because what God's done for one, he'll do for another. 
If you don't feel like it's happened for you yet, just hang in there because the, the key word is yet. Yet, Job said, shall I praise the Lord? I'm so glad he didn't lose his yet. Not jet, yet. Yet will I praise the Lord. I love the way that uh, uh, Zephaniah said it. He said, though there's no, uh, there's no herds in the stall, though the, the flocks are scattered, though there's no figs on the vine, yet will I rejoice in the God of my salvation. He said, I'll magnify the Lord anyway. Ooh, I wish I had time to give you that. The Hebrew word there is the word shiganoth. You'll read it actually uh, right there. He, he, he talks about, uh, he gives a shiganoth to God, it says. The word shiganoth is a song of praise in the face of adversity. He said, upon my harp, I will shiganoth. That's the word that's used. He said, I will praise though there be no, uh, there's no calves in the stall and though uh, there's no figs uh, on the vine, yet will I praise the Lord. Yet will I magnify the God of my salvation. Oh, I'd like to tell you one of the most powerful elements of faith that you can have is to magnify the Lord, Paul. Magnify the Lord, Silas, at midnight. When you're in the most difficult situation, you begin to give God the praise anyway and hell, hell begins to shake loose all around you and the, the prison just crumbles. And there's still a church there today that started out of that revival when the jail fell apart. That's a little bit longer than four years. God must be teaching us something. When we began Abundant Life Christian Center, uh, we developed, uh, I have it, a hundred-year plan. I developed a hundred-year plan. I'm tired of Holy Ghost churches like, like you and me having one, one horse wonders, you know, one trick wonders. No, we, we, should, we should be running into perpetuity. So I developed a 100-year plan. I'm in the 31st year of it right now. I'm less than $5 million away from instituting what's necessary for that 100-year plan. So if I went to heaven tomorrow, I would have a confidence that that would still take place. So we're real close to it right now. Hallelujah. I'm not sure if I want to do that $5 because that might be the trigger for me to have to go. So I, I don't know. I have to pray about that part right there. We're getting, we're getting close. Yes, sir. We're getting wiser. Hallelujah. In conclusion, once again, me and, me and the Lord, we have threes in everything. It came to pass after this, there was again a battle with the Philistines in Gob. And Sabika, the Hushite, slew Saph, which was of the sons of the giant. Oh, my goodness. It's like another giant comes up named Saph. And instead of Abishai or David fighting him, because they're not going to let David go out there, because David has this anointing that they found out is transferable. So I can see Abishai, uh, when, he, when he's down at, at Cheddar's after church, and he's talking about all the glory and the goodness, and I laid hands on that one, and they got healed, and I prophesied, and it came to pass. Oh, hallelujah. And we're given all of that. And all of a sudden, uh, uh, 
Simica says, wait a minute, Abishai, you're not the only one that can kill giants because you didn't do that by your might. You didn't do that by your power. You did that by the spirit of God. The next time a giant comes up, bless God, I'm going to kill him. And the Bible says another one came up named Saph. And, and, and when he came up, watch this. When he came up, the Bible says that uh, Sabekai, uh, the Hushite, he slew him. The word Saph is a stunning word. It, it, it's a word that means like a cistern, like a bowl, a cistern. And the root word of it in the Hebrew is the word for blood. It literally, in, in understanding, his name means a bowl of blood. And I can tell you right now that one of the ways the enemy will try to stop any church is try to cause a blood war inside of that church. Y'all better listen to me. God is going to fill this church up with Mexican people, Spanish, Mexican. He's going to fill it up with white people. He's going to fill it up with black people. He's going to fill it up with Oriental people. He's going to fill it up with red-headed people. If you got an issue with that, you got a SAF problem. Not a staff problem, a SAF problem. You got a blood problem. And blood problems kill a lot of churches. Twice I've had my windows shot out at my house. Twice. Because I'm right next to Santa Fe, Texas. I can take an eight iron, well maybe a a three wood and hit Santa Fe from my uh, from from the front front of our church. Santa Fe was the home of the KKK. Twice, there were people that didn't like it. I have the phone recordings of the threats, where they call and tell us that we're going to die. I have the letters that we turned over to the police, where they did that. They didn't like it because that we. I'm a white preacher. I think I'm at least half white. I'm sure of that because my mother's maiden name was white. So I, it makes me at least half white anyway. I get accused and, of being only maybe a quarter white. And that'll be just fine with me too. But they didn't like it because at Abundant Life, uh, there are uh, oftentimes as many African-American people as there are white people in that church. Like that's supposed to make a difference. Well, it does. The anointing increases. The love of God increases. The glory of God increases. There's got to be a sabika spirit that rises up and kills that blood issue. Well, I'm just telling you now, preacher. Us white folk, we go to churches. And then us black folk, we go to churches. And Mexican people go to their churches. Like bluebirds go to bluebird nests. And blackbirds go to blackbird nests. And woodpeckers go to woodpeckers' nests. Well, the next time someone tells you that, say, well, which one of the bird brain ideas did you get that from? You're not a bird. You're a child of God. You've been bought with the blood of Jesus. Hallelujah. Jesus didn't shed his skin at Calvary. He shed his blood. There was only one blood source. Only one blood source. Started with a man named Adam. And his wife Eve. 
And God in all of his ability took the DNA out of one person just like can happen today. Did you know every person in here? Technically, every person in here is kin to someone else around you. Every person is kin almost to every person by your DNA to the 13th generation. At generation 13, all of a sudden, you're part of the big plan. You just think that you're special. But 13 generations of blood connect you basically to everybody. Just thought I'd bust the bubble of whoever needed the bubble busted. Well, not me. Me and Mildred, we're not that way. Are, are, are we? Are we Mildred? Mildred's like, I wish I was. I know that. <laughs> Civicum. It means supernatural intervention. It kills. Sometimes nothing but the power of miracles will kill the blood issue. Because you can't rationalize with that demon. No, you have to outperform him by the power of God, by supernatural intervention. Because I'd just like to say, if you're crippled in a wheelchair, you don't care if it's a Mexican preacher. You don't care if it's a black preacher. You don't care if it's a female preacher. You don't care if it's a white preacher. You don't care if it's a donkey. If it'll get you healed, it's like, Lord, speak to me. Yeah. Don't wait till you get in that situation to get your doctrine straightened out. If you have that issue, though I doubt anyone in this house of faith and love would have that kind of an issue uh, anymore. And there was again a battle in God with the Philistines where Elhanan, the son of that big long name, Jeroragin, uh, a Bethlehemite, slew the brother of Goliath, the staff of whose spear was like a beam. Elhanan's name means grace and mercy. He slew the brother of Goliath. I just want to say this. Goliath means to strip naked, to humiliate, to make nude, And every now and then, the devil will try to bring humiliating circumstances, embarrassing things. He'll try to come back around like the brother of Goliath will try to show up again. But when he does, grace and mercy covers it, kills it, kills it. I heard somebody goes to that church that, that, that used to be a homosexual. Well, the key word is used to. Grace and mercy. I heard somebody goes to that church that was in a church split somewhere. Well, they're not in this church because they want a church split. They're in this church because they want to receive something that's real. Grace and mercy. I heard somebody got into sin. Somebody uh, was drinking. Somebody was doing something wrong. That might happen. That might happen. Grace and mercy will kill that giant. Grace and mercy. Because Goliath is all, every now and then, he'll try to pop up again himself. He'll send one of his relatives in conclusion. Now, finally, this is number four. Everyone shout number four. number four. There was yet a battle in Gath. The word Gath means wine press. It means pressed out of measure. There was a battle in Gath. Sometimes you can just get pressed. Where was a man of great stature, which had on every hand six fingers 
and on every foot six toes, four and twenty in number. And he was also born to the giant. Anytime you see four and twenty, you see that six and that six, that's a type of six, six, six. In the New Testament, he gives all three of the numbers, six, six, six. It's a type of governmental rule. There are 24 right here. There are 24 elders around the throne of God. There are 12 Old Testament prophets and the 12 New Testament apostles. And you'll see them in heaven. It deals with spiritual uh, oversight. It deals with governmental oversight, spiritually speaking. The Bible says this giant rises up and he starts to like the worst kind sometimes. He's the worst kind. He'll just try to stop it. Uh, he's the fourth one. And he tries to come with, with great numbers, so to speak. And he'll do anything to stop the move of God. And when he defied Israel, Jonathan, the word Jonathan is a beautiful word. Uh, it, it's the Hebrew word, and it says, Jehovah is the giver. Jehovah has given. Oh, hallelujah. When the enemy tries to stop what God is doing, and then somebody wants to pull one of these, one of these governmental power plays. Have you ever been in a church? Don't raise your hand. You ever been in a church where that kind of stuff goes on? Well, I don't like the way they do that. I don't like the way they do that at church. I don't like the way they do that. They do that. I'm not talking about following someone who's in sin and crazy doctrine and foolishness. But if God's called you and planted you in something, then have faith, believe, always stick with the word and the spirit of God, but walk in unity. Refuse to let some, someone or anything come around and say, well, I think everybody ought to be, uh, everybody's got a voice. Share what's in your heart, but never let anything destroy the unity that God has placed in the oversight, understanding spiritual authority. It's a powerful thing. It's the, the very spirit of, of 666 tries to get in the churches today to try to oversee and destroy those. But God raised up uh, one that was brought by God. He raised him up. Uh, Jonathan, given of God. God is the giver. He was the brother of David, the son of Shimea, who is Shammah. These four were born to the giant in Gath, and they fell by the hand of David and by the hand of his servants. By the time David had died, it was the end of the era of the giants. They raised up four men right here. If we had time, we'd go to chapter 23, but we don't. My time's up. In chapter 23, there was another man that rose up and he become David's personal bodyguard and he killed an Egyptian giant. He went into a pit on a snowy day and he killed a lion. He was a man that uh, two, two men out of Moab who were lion-like, they were fierce they attacked him, and he killed them both. He killed the giant with his own spear. All he had was a stick in his hand. He had heard the stories of David. Uh, that man rose up and became a mighty, mighty leader. And David needed a new bodyguard because his bodyguard had gone in a rebellion with a guy named Absalom, and he needed a new bodyguard. Can you imagine going through all the resumes? The bodyguard? 
worked at the Huntsville prison. That's nice. Been on the police force. Hmm, graduate of Texas A&M in the, in, the, in, the, in the law enforcement. Very good. Man, look at this resume. This is awesome. A big Who's going to be my... What? Killed a giant. Who killed a giant? I never heard of this guy. He did what? He killed... He went into a, lion, a, a snowy pit and killed a lion in the snow? Who can do that? You're not going to do that naturally. He, he killed two of those Moabite fierce men? What? I can see David said, bring that guy to me. And the Bible says he made him his bodyguard. Oh, hallelujah. Your gift will make room for you. It takes one to know one. When David died, right before David died, he took that bodyguard and he passed him over to Solomon. He said, take care of my Solomon. And this guy rose up. He's like, every time a rebellion would come up, he would go and take out the rebels. And Solomon, in all of his wisdom, never took out anyone. He was just wise enough to take the man who David had made the captain. And finally, he became the second man to Solomon. And he was head of all of Solomon's armies and won all of those victories. That was the no-name guy that killed a lion, two Moabites, and an Egyptian giant who David said, that's my man. He's got an anointing because that doesn't happen naturally. So we have five men named in the Bible plus David who killed giants. I prophesy in Jesus' name, this church has a giant killing anointing. That not five, not 55, not 500, but by the thousands, by the thousands, men and women will rise up with an anointing. Our sons and daughters will rise up powerfully. They will slay the giants of poverty, the giants of racism, the giants of division, the giants of ignorance, the giants of false doctrines. Those anointings are in this house. They're on you. And in the fourth year, just like God raised up four giant killers to help David fulfill the call of God and send the light of God into the house, that anointing's in this house. Before I turn this back to pastor right now, this, have y'all received this tonight? Now listen to me. If this word... If this word is talking to you and you're like, I'm one of those giant killers. I'm a giant, I'm a giant killer. I passed the test. Right before I became a pastor, I was in my father's church. And there was a wonderful family in there. Uh, Larry, you know these people real well. They lived out in Ryle Acres where Cindy and I had a home. There was two families of people. These were absolutely nice people. They were just nice as they could be. Building contractors. Nice people. One day I got invited on a Saturday. I got invited to come to their house. I was my father's assistant. I led singing. Uh, Candy oftentimes would play. And we would sing. I would lead singing many times. And I would go and uh, occasionally minister uh, and help my father. And just sharpening the sword and growing. And, and, and I stayed faithful to him. I stayed faithful to my father and, and, and my mother. 
And people would come up to me. You don't know how many times they would say, man, you can preach. You, man, it'd be awesome if you were the pastor of this church. And I would cringe on the inside. Oh, God. I'd feel like I was talking to the Antichrist every time somebody would say that. I mean it. I'm not making this up. And one day, my wife and I got an invitation. We're having a fish fry on, on Saturday afternoon over at our house. Would you, would you and Cindy come? I said, oh, yeah, thank you. I'd love to come. So I go over there, and there's these several men. At this time, I'm 30 years old. And, and they're just as nice as they can be. And we're sitting around, and we're going to play dominoes. And we're eating uh, fish that's fried. And, and, and we're drinking the Cokes and iced tea. And, and we're playing dominoes. And, and we're just talking. And then two of them started talking to me. And they started talking to me how my daddy was old. And getting older, though he was a little younger than them. And he was getting older. And I tell you, Walter, when you teach that Sunday morning class on Sunday morning, it just comes alive. Oh, that'd be wonderful. Uh, man, it'd really be something. Well, it's just made us want more of God just listening to you. So here's what we've done. We bought a piece of property out here. And, you know, we're builders. And we're going to build a church. We're going to build a church. And Walter, we'd like you to be the pastor in my father's hometown. My father, my pastor, the only one I ever had. And I looked at him, and anger came up on me. I wanted to turn the table over. I was so mad. And I shook. I did. I shook. I was so mad. And they knew. They had talked to the wrong see I was dumb I was young I was dumb that's what they were thinking they thought they could stroke my ego enough and tell me all the reasons it would be so good because the young the young adults would follow me and they said if you become the pastor we'll give it to you and we, we, we want to be there we want to be on the board we'll give it to you I've only told this to a few people came in my face and I was felt so dirty that I was at this meeting with a few other people and they were all I realized watching these guys talk to me and I looked at them I said no I wouldn't do that I might have said something else I won't explain all of it I said well, what have I ever done what did I ever do I said what did I ever do to make you think that I would ever do something like that to my own father who's prayed for you fasted gave his life to God married you and buried you and loved you and raised up a church when it wasn't popular to be charismatic it wasn't cool in those days I remember getting ridiculed by school teachers because we spoke with other tongues maybe we deserved it I can still remember those days. I said, what did I ever do to make you think I would even consider that? And I was so mad, I didn't know what to do. And I got up and I said, Cindy. And she was over talking to some of these very sweet ladies. I said, Cindy, let's go right now. She said, what's the matter? I said, I'm sick of this place. I have to go. She knew something wasn't right. She just put it down just immediately. She said, okay, let's go. We walked off and I got on the car. We drove off.
They did their thing. They split that church. Their church, they built it, and it's really pretty. And they can't get enough people to sit on the front row. To this day, it has no candlestick, it has no light. The other church continued to be blessed and to be blessed until they went to heaven. And today, other people have picked the mantle up in that town and they have raised up some great churches who some of you even know them now. If they came out, they were touched and anointed by that house. Don't ever let anyone pull the six-fingered trick on you. You be wise about that. You be strong. That was the fourth giant that he took out. I passed the test that day. Today, from a church that never had over 150 people at one time in it that I know of, would you say, Larry, 150 was the largest at any one time we ever saw? But it was there also for 45 or 50 years almost in a little bitty town. Back in those days, there was just a little over 5,000 people in the town and a church on every corner. And all of it split. said, it's time for you to launch out. And we launched out and started knocking on doors. And today, 31 years later, we have three TV channels that go, I was in two weeks ago, I'm in Scotland, in Dornish, Scotland, in Skibo Castle, it belonged to Andrew Carnegie at a, at a major wedding that I was involved in. And I took my phone out and I did it for my daddy. TV, World Outreach Network Television, New York and Houston. And I punched the one that says New York. And I waited for a minute and, and all of a sudden it just came up. And there it is, 49, Channel 49, New York, New York. And 24 hours a day from the 82nd floor of the Empire State Building, all over the air, and also on the internet because I passed the test. I was in Europe. I'm just saying it's not about me. It's about being faithful to God. You never know how in one moment, Pastor Brian, things can elevate just like that. Research guys of Apple. Apple. He was on a rocket going this way. But God put us in his heart all the way over in Tucson, Arizona. This guy's a genius. He's not just smart, he's a genius. He's not just a genius, he's anointed. And for five years, it was his mission in life to quit Apple, where he was making a lot more money. And come to work on our staff because he had heard us preach somewhere. He said, God told him to do it. I know he did. And so, at the appointed time, we brought him on. 
as soon as we brought him on, he took us from being a local regional television station in Houston, Texas, channel 28.2 and .3, over the air, to going around the world streaming the gospel. The station that we got, the, the channel we got in New York City, New York, I believe Donald Trump is going to listen to our station. I can see his place from, the, from our office. Listen, you never know what God will do in your life. If you say, Pastor, I want a giant killing anointing for my family. I'm going to pass the test. I'll never have a blood problem. I'm never going to have a governmental problem. I'm never going to have a, a crazy doctrine problem. I'm not going to listen to that which tries to humiliate and come back around from time to time if that ever happens I'm going all the way with Jesus Christ and this is my house I'm planted and this is the this is the smallest we're ever going to be we're just going to keep pressing and stretching there's an anointing I want it on my sons and daughters I want it on my grandchildren if you're believing God and you receive that today listen I don't have any ego you need to stroke you do not have to stand up I will not think anything more or less of you. But if you say, I want that in my life, just right where you are sitting, just stand up to the Lord and lift your hands to God. If that's you, and just ask God to let this anointing fall on you. Pastor Brian, come up here. Just you begin to pray. Father, in the name of Jesus, this anointing today, God, this giant killing anointing, these four giant killing anointings, combine them together in this house. Lord, I thank you the gates of hell will never prevail. That these first four years have just been the nursery. It's just the nursery stage for this house. Father, that you have just begun to lay the foundation. Lay it strong. Lay it powerful. I thank you for the anointing that's upon Pastor Brian, Pastor Christopher, for the leaders in this church that they will be like Zerubbabel. They will shout grace, grace to the foundation. Grace, grace to the walls. They will shout grace, grace to the capstone, to the foundation, the cornerstones, to the men and women who walk in and out of this house doing the works of God. Let the double grace of God be upon them. Father, let it be a season of double jubilee Jesus thank you Lord that the anointing of the fourth day to know the difference in light and darkness that it will powerfully be in this house that not one of our sons or daughters will ever be deceived give us light give us understanding now reach over and lay your hand on someone's shoulder or take them by the hand. And for the next 60 seconds, let them hear you pray that God will seal this anointing in their life. Pastor Brian.